This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we'll be talking with Nabil Khatib, founder and CEO of Legend for Tutoring LLC, and he's previously shared his expertise on our Pass the FE Exam channel. And in today's episode, he's going to delve into the essential insights and strategies for success in structural engineering careers, and also be providing us some tips about how to study for the structural depth and the PE exam, or the PE exam and the structural depth of the PE exam. And he's also going to be talking about some time management techniques and some other tips that he has for us. Also, he's going to be talking about and summarizing some of the upcoming changes for the structural engineering exam that's going to be transitioning to computer-based testing or CBT. So stay tuned for that. He provides a, a quick summary on that for those of you taking the SE exam. I'm your co-host, Matt Picardle, and this is the Structural Engineering Channel Podcast. Now let's jump into our conversation of the week with Nabil. Before we go on here, I would like to take a minute to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Menard USA. Do you have projects where you are faced with building on soft or loose ground? Does it seem like all the good sites are taken and you're always building on poor soils that are a challenge for conventional foundation approaches? Menard may be able to help. As a specialty ground improvement contractor, Menard works nationally and internationally providing design-build ground improvement solutions at sites with problematic soils. Typical projects include warehouses, buildings, material storage piles, embankments, roadways, port facilities, storage tanks, platforms, and more. In many cases, ground improvement is less costly than traditional approaches such as removal and replacement or piling systems. Menard works closely with civil, structural, and geotechnical engineers to minimize foundation costs for wide ranges of soil conditions, structure types, and loading conditions. To learn more about Menard USA or for help on your next project, please visit www.menardusa.com. That's www.menardusa.com. Nabil, welcome to the show. Can you start by introducing yourself and tell us what you do on a daily basis? Hey, Matt. Thank you for having me. I am Nabil, a.k.a. Newton Khatib. I'm a structural engineer. I work for a company called Tetra Tech. I do design bridges. I do design some pipe racks, foundation, steel frames, vertical vessel, horizontal vessel, stuff like that, anything to do with oil and gas industry, as well as bridges. It looks like you got the design experience. That's what you're doing right now. You're also the CEO and founder of Legend for Tutoring. Maybe talk a little bit about that as well. So I am the CEO and the founder of Legend for Tutoring. It's a company that 
It has to do with anything that prepares you for the FE, the PE, also STEM courses. We do have people help us and the team is pretty equipped with all these topics, math, FE, PE mainly. And I'm also an instructor or affiliate professor at University of Colorado, Denver and Metro State University. I am a husband of my beautiful wife, Manal. Uh, we have a daughter, her name is Stella, and we have a boy coming up here in less than a week, the due date. So it's getting serious. Oh, congrats. Thank you. Yeah, so more than a structural engineer, uh, lots of titles, lots of different hats to play. Yeah, I want to get into like the CBT and the PE, but before that, since you do have work experience and you're doing that right now, what are some of the skills or the expertise that you think that structural engineers that are working right now or that are about to get into the profession, do you have any tips on how to develop or accelerate their career growth? So I personally think that the personal skills are way important than the technical skills. I know people personally, they're really great, phenomenal, outstanding you know, uh, engineers, but they're not fun to work with. So one of the things that I really like to have when I'm like on a big team or a small team or whatever, understanding each other. You've got a scenario that you have to be out two hours or whatever. You got to make sure that you cover your team work or your coworker up. I like when you're senior and you like to share your knowledge, not being say, oh, this is the way I'll learn it. Why not? You're not aware of this. I'm surprised that you don't know this. I've heard it multiple times from seniors to other engineers where they do not have the technical part uh, strong. I was like, oh, you graduated, but you should know how the moment works. If you've got wind, ladder, load, and you've got arm, here's the moment, right? I don't like that attitude. I for sure, I do speak out if I hear stuff like that. It's also good to have the time management. It's also good to have the fresh air mentality. A lot of engineers, sadly, they get into the office at eight o'clock and leave at five work, 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 work. When you talk to them, they don't really want to talk because simply they don't have time to talk and they're overwhelming them themselves or they're just burning themselves out. So that's another thing. And obviously technical is very important. Technical is, is extremely big component towards being a good professional structural engineer. Make sure that you build your own templates. I like to talk about this here, whether now or later, the 4T framework, me and Anthony and myself, we talked about that briefly, kind of building the templates, learning from your mistakes, kind of be familiar with the manuals, you know, just learn and not think that you are the only person who knows this. These are very great skills to have and share with your coworkers. Say, I don't know it. Can you teach me? Or my brain works that way, not this way. A lot of people expect that all engineers think in one direction. So when they explain things, they explain it straight. And some people like to see a visual sketch or a 3D sketch. Like personally, if I see something 3D, there is like some load. Okay, that's not going to fit. Why I'm just designing for this? Because geometry is not going to fit. So these three dimension or three kind of like D uh, view could definitely help some engineers. They're whether intra-level or mid-level. Seniors, sometimes they tend to know this right off the bat. So that obviously the list goes on and on, but uh, let me know if, if you've got a particular thing that you want me to share or to have more thoughts on it. 
definitely agree with that, especially the coaching aspect of it. Like you were saying, there's the education in terms of the schooling and then they graduate. I think this applies to almost all the engineers, uh, unless you go to like a really specific school geared towards the industry. But you're not going to know a lot when you get into the industry. I think there's a lot of things that are emphasized in school that aren't really specific. Like you probably don't need to know how to drive things off the top of your head, which they emphasize in school, but then you get to the industry. No, there's a different skill set. And a lot of these things, a lot of, especially students, they've never even seen a lot of construction. They're kind of just going right from the textbook. So there's going to be training and yeah, there's one way to go about encouraging them and telling, asking them like, you should have learned this in school. How do you not know this? That's the best way to uh, demoralize some of these students. Exactly. Yeah, I heard it multiple times. And I was like, wait, first I'm still learning. And not because I have a PhD or almost a PhD, it means that I know everything. And when you tell someone like this, you're just saying you're dumb in a different way. And that's extremely not encouraging the, whether entering or the intro level engineers to work harder. You're just going to give him a tool to say, give up. They probably already have a uh, imposter syndrome when they get into the industry. So piling that on top of them, it, it doesn't help encourage them to stay in the industry and learn because if they weren't taught how you can't blame them for not being taught in school. I mean, that's kind of how our education system is like. I mean, blame the education systems. You can't just blame them for not knowing it. So yeah, I think that's a great point. And also about the the technical skills too, which I think we can get into because one of the things about engineering in terms of your career path, one way or another, you can't get away from not knowing the technical. You can't just get training in management and then manage engineers. Maybe you can, but it probably won't work out too well because they need training and you're probably the one that's going to be mentoring them. I've seen that, Matt, where some you know managers, they do not have the PE license and i could see from my point i could be totally wrong but they're not thinking the way the professional slash a manager engineer would think because they will come to you and say oh this is a copy of a project that we've done before copy does not mean that you don't need to check all the components anything goes out the door out of the park it needs to be checked thoroughly right you need to be making sure that every single ink on the piece of paper, verified, checked, everything looks good. When you don't have your PE or when you're a manager that more a project manager, not having to do a lot with the technical part, you'll probably minimize how the professional slash the entry junior, whatever level, they work hard to get all these sections to you. There's a pipe rack, W12 by 65 or whatever it may be. You're like, oh, okay, this is just a copy. So let's just use 12 by 65. That might not work or might be like over, you know, sized, right? I think that's one of the cool things about structural engineering. Even though you may have similar projects, they're never always the same. Like there's always some component that's different. Or maybe at least for me, if I'm doing building design, maybe it's a completely different site and that changes a lot of the design. So I think that's what's pretty cool. But yeah. You kind of need that engineering background to better help the team in terms of the bigger picture and how they think structurally. So yeah, great points on that. And especially for you, I mean, you're like in California, so like anything changes with that seismic category, oops, a lot of things changes. 
Absolutely. You mentioned the templates. Could you do a brief summary on that one? Probably a year ago, I started what I call it a four key framework, which basically categorized the four tools that you really need very heavily in order to be a successful professional structural engineer. Number one is the terms. I like to keep the T's. You could call the terms concept or nomenclatures or whatever, maybe, right? And then you get to the second thing, templates. I'm going to emphasize more. And the third one is called the time, the time management. And the fourth T is the trust. You won't be able to trust yourself without having the time, the templates, and the terms all together. The templates part, it took me a minute to like recognize how sometimes simple stuff that we know, but when we get to a project, we forget to check or we forget to do a quick run, you know, calcs. So I started what I call it templates, meaning let's say you're doing retaining wall design. What I like to do is say, okay, I've got serviceability, I've got strength, serviceability under that, overturning, sliding, bearing. And then you go to the strength, you've got your moment, your minimum, whatever reinforcement, you've got the shear and other requirements. I start building these templates saying, okay, if I'm doing this, I will need to do one, two, three, four for this you know, design. If I need to do strength, okay, here's the moment, singly, you know, reinforced concrete beam or whatever slab, here's what you need to do. And obviously adding the references, because sadly, when I check some people's work, they do not have the references. And that makes it really hard for me if I'm not familiar with the, the design very well to like verify or validate, say, okay, this is okay. I know this. Where's your reference? Okay. You're doing Ashto, not ACI. Oh, you're doing IBC. You're not doing so-and-so. You're taking your SDS or whatever. Some of these design uh, spectrum value from IBC, not taking them from California reference or whatever, because every design, as you know, Matt, and you know better, obviously you're the SE here. So, you know, the most knowledge or the most knowledgeable person when you get to the SE, that everything is going to be different when you deal with one design versus another design, right? That's kind of the templates that I've started building. And it doesn't have to be only work. Like if you're preparing for your PE, start to get these templates. Okay, chapter seven from, you know, ACI talks about one-way slab. Okay, here's the minimum thickness. Here is your reinforcement and so on and so forth. I'm actually building that as one of the textbook that I'm writing or the booklet, if you want to call that. I wrote some book, you know, booklet about FE prep course or FE practice exam. Some like guideline helps you study for the FE similarity for PE. And one of the things that I'm really working on right now is more building the templates for PE depth and building some templates that you commonly see in practice and in industry. That's a great summary. Terms, templates, time and trust. And with the templates... At least with regards to uh, structural engineering and uh, test taking too. Yes, having some type of summary or template, step-by-step procedure or system, that really helps because if you've ever tried to study those code books, they point you in 10 different references. You're like, you got to flip the page like 10 times to get what they're actually saying. But then if you can just summarize it in a couple of procedures, then that makes your checks and your test taking a lot easier. And 
Let's get into the the CBT, PE, and uh, SE exams. Could you explain some of those and what are some of the tips and strategies that have been effective for you for engineers that are going to study for those and keys to success for those? This is one of my strong suit that I like to talk about it is taking the FE and the PE. And obviously, if you're passionate about taking the SE or you're required to take the SE, this is a great deal. It is uh, considered one of the hardest tests in structural engineering world. Tips and tricks. I start with the 4T framework, going back to the original, going back to square one. There is not a lot of tricks here, not a lot of uh, puzzles. The first thing that you want to know is you want to know your references. For the FE, easy peasy, you get to that handbook, bada bim, bada boom, you're done. Everything is well written, started 2014, the NCS started the procedure for CBT for FE. It's pretty precise, pretty condensed. I like the manual very well. Get back to the PE or going forward to the PE, it's not the same procedure. It's not as easy as that. Number one, it's a new procedure. It's new, kind of, they're changing the entire system to CBT. And if you don't know what a CBT stands for here, it's computer-based test and the PE has started last year, January 2022, being CBT for all disciplines. And we're talking here mainly about the civil engineering discipline slash structural. Knowing your manuals, if you go to the NCS website and you'll see there are a bunch of stuff that you need to know from the specs. And you gotta be make sure that up to date. The NCS does not really change frequently, but they could change their manual from 1.1 to 1.2 from 10.1 to 10.2, whatever your discipline is. On top of the NCS handbook, you will have what they called it design standards. That includes ACI, the steel manual, the NDS, timber manual, the TMS, the masonry manual, the PCI, the pre-stress precast, ASHTO, IBC, OSHA, and others. You know, I think a total of 11 or probably 10 manuals, right? So you better be aware of that these manuals are going to show up on the day of the test. Diff probably a little different than what you practice. Like they could be not one single PDF. They could be split it to individual chapters. Go into you know steel manual and try to type in something or control F. Finding 2000 plus pages in that manual, it is going to be very tough to know where to find things. So you better be prepared for that. Practice problems. You get to practice a lot of problems. You got to make sure that you see not just knowing the manuals because you're not reading a novel. You're not reading like a, an article talking about, you know, how to get fit. You're reading about something that applies in real life. So you better say, okay, I read the minimum thickness here for one way slab is going to be chapter seven, section three, table seven, three, one, one. Just an example. You go there, you see these stuff. Okay, well, how can I apply this? Here's a slab for you, simply supported, cantilever, continuous from one end, continuous from two ends. You get to apply that to your real life. You go, it's not one, only one section or one chapter. You're talking about 11 manuals. If you add all the pages, they could go up to 10,000 plus pages. That's a serious number we're talking about, right? So what else? Time management. Go back. Terms. Templates, time. It's all about these 14. You know, I promise if you follow this framework, 
I think there is no reason why you're not going to be able to pass and smash the test. The only reason why not is sadly it's a CBT. And when we talk about CBT as a computer, populates these questions so let's say you're not good or you don't do a lot with with masonry you get 11 questions on masonry that might not be good you know starting point right i know some people got the test they're pretty good with concrete steel nds or the timber and then got a lot of questions on masonry they did not pass not because they're a bad engineer there's nothing wrong with you failing a test there is always you know learning lesson from each failure mode and then the time management we talked about the templates. We talked about the terms, time management. You do the math, six minutes per each problem. If you're not capable to do that, guess what? What's going to happen? You're probably going to scramble around at the end of the test and you select all the C, you know, hoping for C for correct, right? C, C, correct, and C. <laughs> so you're just pushing buttons here and there and flagging, flagging and say, okay, I'm going to get back to this, but the time is running and ticking. So that's another thing that you want to be aware of. Speaking of flagging, there is nothing wrong with a flag. Keep saying this to my clients, my students, my coworkers. If you're flagging, it does not mean that you're losing the battle. It means pretend that you're talking to someone is very important and someone interrupts you. You're not being disrespectful to that person. Say, give me a minute. I just want to finish my conversation with this guy and then get back to you. With being very respectful, you're flagging that person not saying, nope, I'm not talking to you. Lagging that person, say, you're not that important to me. I'm going to get the important questions first and then get to the questions that I have flagged. People, when I say flag, flagging a lot means no good. Nope, that's not a strategy. I flag 11 questions on the PE. First 11 problems on the test, I flagged them and I was panicking. I said, I'm failing. That's not a problem. There's nothing wrong with failing. What's going to happen if you fail? Don't put yourself in, in a very tough spot and bad vibes and say, well, I failed. I'm not a good engineer. Nope. It's not a measurement of how good you are. It's just a measurement of, are you well prepared for this test? Sadly, it's not an engineering test anymore. It's basically a memorization test, you know, in your manual. And it's also learning lesson from each failure that you do. I mean, you got to do your best to forget the rest. Keep always your head up. Don't feel that you're not a good engineer or you're a bad engineer failing the test. It is always learning lesson $375. If you fail the test, that's the only thing that you're going to lose. Before we go on here, a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Simpson Strong Tie. Simpson Strong Tie is a building industry pioneer dedicated to helping people design and build safer, stronger homes, structures, and communities. Simpson Strong Tie is making a positive difference for their customers through expert engineering, world-class test laboratories, and unrivaled technical support. We invite you to consider working alongside the many talented, passionate, and humble people who are all contributing to our shared mission in an environment that supports a healthy work-life balance. It's a place where you can connect, create, and build a career. Visit strongtie.com forward slash careers to learn about our culture and why Simpson Strong Tie employees are our most loyal customers. It's important for people taking the test to not put their ego or their self-worth in these tests because, like you said, it's just a test. And what you mentioned also, the test-taking strategy, which isn't engineering, is a huge part of the test. If you have a bad strategy going in, it's not going to go well. And... That's not really engineering. That's more test-taking skills. So 
okay, you're not a great test taker. You can improve that. And it doesn't mean you're a bad engineer or anything like that. I took the test map when I had only one year of experience. So I don't have tons of experience. I'm pretty sure a lot of people, they have tons of experience and they take the test. And if they fail, there's nothing wrong with your knowledge. As you said, there is some tactics that you need to do to be well prepared for these skills, the test taking skills, right? Yeah. And I know some uh, engineers that don't pass. So what is it? What if they're in the office? You won't hear about it. They won't say anything if they didn't pass. It's because uh, no one wants to say that they didn't pass because all they hear is all the people passing. You go on LinkedIn or you go talk to the engineers. Oh yeah, I pass, I pass, I pass. It's like, yeah, those are the ones that are saying it. But if you look at the statistics, it's like, Half of them didn't pass. They're not saying anything either. So it feels isolating. I know maybe if you're just looking at that, but it's like, no, you're not the only one that didn't pass. It's let's not even get started on the SE exam where like 75% don't score. It's like something wrong, man. It's just, it's just a test. That's encouraging. I'm preparing for the SE. I'm going to be in trouble. Before we get into that, I want to talk about that, but I'm just curious too, because I took the PE exam when it was paper and pencil. And I'm used to, and I think for the SE exam too, I took that paper and pencil and, you know, we're lugging a huge card of books and references on these paper and pencil exams. How does that change for the CBT for the ones that have never, that are like me and they've just taken the paper and pencil? I'm guessing you don't have a card of books. So you need to learn how to control life everything or how does that work? So two major changes on that. The first thing, what you said, you're not going to take your suitcase, hold with books and with references. That's not happening anymore. What's going to happen is the screen is going to be splitting to two identical size. And one is going to be on your right is going to be the questions. In the left or on that aside, you will be having the references and the NCS handbook. So for those who took the FE, they're pretty familiar with having the test is, is on the right. The left is going to be the NCS FE handbook. Very similar, except you're going to have two tabs. One is the NCS handbook, and the other tab is going to be design standards. You click on that, populates a bunch of you know references. And that's the worst part of it. You're going to memorize. You're going to be, control office might not be your, great friend bookmarks might be better but also memorization is a heavy key changer here because if you do not remember that chapter 7.3 is talking about the minimum thickness you don't have to go wild say 7.3.1.1 no i don't think that's probably a good strategy but knowing you know one thing that uh, i wrote uh recently a small article about the pattern if you really look at aci just an example there is a pattern. 7.6 is the minimum reinforcement for one-way slab. 8.6 is the minimum reinforcement for two-way slab. 9.6 is the minimum reinforcement for beams. 10.6 is the minimum reinforcement for columns. 11.6, the minimum reinforcement for walls. Right, That pattern, it would help you connect the dots if that makes sense. This is very important. Go to the NDS. 4.3.1 is talking about solid lumber. 5.3.1 is talking about galulums. 6.3.1 talking about holds. 12.3.1 talking about connections, anchor or whatever, right? So that pattern, it helps you sort of connecting the dots. 
not only in ACI or NDS. So that's number one, that people need to be aware of the manuals and the reference and the NCS handbook. The second thing that is a game changer, time. There is not anymore having four hours, four hours. You could do two hours, six hours. You could do three hours, five hours. You could save some of your time from the breadth, which used to be called AM portion, to be the depth, which is usually, you know, or used to be called the PM portion, right? And when I prepare my clients, that's what I do for them. Because in my preparation, I take the time as the most important key here, because if they could get the problems in four minutes or breadth, and instead of six minutes, you're saving two minutes per each problem, two times 40, you're doing 80 minutes here extra, throw them on the depth. Because the depth is not as easy to find. It's not that hard, but it's, it's all about like the references, like where to find it in the manual. That might take some time. So having that an hour to an hour and a half, it's going to help you tremendously. Uh, so it carries over now. When I took it, it was four and four. So yeah, that may, that's interesting. Yep. And it used to be 40-40, right? Now it's 41-39. There's a guy who took it recently and said, 42-38. What? Well, maybe we're going to 50-30. Maybe some algorithm thing that they're doing. I don't know. With the computers now. Or NCS. Nobody knows what the NCS is. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Again, it goes back to strategy. It's like general. Uh, if you got a good strategy, you'll have more time for the structural PE depth. Did you have any insights on how to build a, a library or maybe how to better prepare for the structural depth PE for those uh, taking it for the first time or multiple times? That actually what I'm working on recently, Matt. I'm preparing kind of library for each manual. So basically what I'm doing, I am saying, okay, let's start with the ACI. It's an example. And chapter one, two, three, four, five. Normally these five chapters are very general stuff in them, such as nomenclatures. They're very important, but they're not going to be heavily on the test. You got to definitely know your, your nomenclatures. That's chapter two. Then you get to chapter six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. That's a different category for me. The second category is chapter six, is starting with all these maybe coefficient for a negative and positive moment. That's very important that a lot of the NCS focuses on. And I'm also correlating that with some real problems at the same time. Like if you go by the NCS practice exam, you're going to have some questions that kind of like directly from these chapters. So what I typically do, I say category one, chapter one through five, there's what you should be prepared for. Chapter one, two, three, four, five. There's another category that's red. I call it red category, meaning it's red hot. Very important to know. Chapter six, here is, you know, the thing that you need to know. It's the tables that you need to know. When you build a table, a lot of people think, okay, I'm writing a table, 6.5.2. Well, that's not enough because you're saying 6.5.2, but you're not giving yourself an example, kind of connects the table with a real life example, if that makes sense. And then you get to chapter seven and say, okay, here's 7.6 minimum reinforcements for one-way stop. Okay, that's good. We're not going to memorize that. We're going to say, okay, maybe one of the problems that you see on the test as this. 
So connecting these categories with prioritizing, if you want to say, obviously nobody predicts what the questions are going to be, and that is extremely vague, but also we have a tutored thus far, probably since the CBT starts, probably like at least 20, 25 people who pass the test. I have a streak, passing streak on CBT PE civil structural. And what I do normally after they took the test, they will come back and say, okay, here's what we had. So I will put them, embedded them in my templates or in my sort of library, whatever you want to call it, saying, okay, here's a previous uh, question pops up like this on this topic. Ashto, a lot of people like always asking me and say, do I have to buy the Ashto you know, manual? In my opinion, you do not have to because normally on the PE, not a bunch of the questions on Ashto, but that does not mean that you're not going to get. So it's that prioritizing type of thing, if that makes sense, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to the test taking skills and yeah, if you're going to have one Ashto question, should you be spending all of your time on Ashto? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you just need another code book and know where to search for it. At least look at it. Exactly. Yep. Doing some type of summaries or like what you're doing, something that can tell you what the important parts are that you actually need to study in that pop-up during the test is huge because if the test tells you to study ACI, ACI is pretty big, but once you know like what the priorities are and what to study, I think that's a, that's a huge help. And uh, thanks for doing that. And I know you haven't taken it yet. The SE exam, I finished the paper and pencil, but I believe next year or soon, they're going to be transferring to the CBT as well, computer-based testing. What do you know about that? I, I mean, I've heard some stuff, but since you're actually going to be preparing for it, what do you know so far about that? And maybe what's good, what's bad that you think? I don't know if there's any good. <laughs> Well, I sat in a webinar was conducted by the NCS. So all what I'm going to refer here is talks and a conversation from Mr. Jason Gamble. He is the chief examination officer. If you know me enough, I would not say anything that X, you know, said. I do not, you know, follow that strategy. I like to go to the original well and dig the water from there. You know, that's just me because to be honest, all these, you know, tests are going to be conducted by the NCS. So you're going to waste your time if you start talking about, you know, these tests and getting and gathering information from other resources, in my opinion. That's what I know from Mr. Jason again. The test is going to be now comprised of four categories, vertical, lateral, building, and bridges, like what you used to be. There is not really changes on that. Here's the big change. One, the breadth is not going to be 40 questions anymore. It is going to be 55 questions. 10 questions are what they call them pre-test for future tests. They're not going to be four hours anymore. So they extended the four hours to five and five hours and 30 minutes doing the same ratio. Four hours, 40 problems, 55, and then uh, five hours and 30 minutes. That would be uh, MCQ, multiple you know, choice questions. It is going to be CBT starting from January 2024, so only in about six months, all year round, seven to ten days. You will you receive your result. It's very nice. That's for the the breadth though. The depth is gonna say 
eventually, that's what Mr. Jason said, eventually, quote unquote, it is going to be all year round and it is going to be seven to 10 days. Well, that's going to be seven to 10 days. I took my PE CBT on Saturday and I received the grade on result on Wednesday. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but normally NCS releases the test or the results on Wednesday around 10 o'clock Eastern time in the morning. So I received it like around eight, you know, I'm in Denver here, mountain time. 20 minutes break, 10 minutes tutorials and uh, non-disclosure. That's for the breadth portion. Used to be only eight hours. Now it's 11 hours. So three hours change there. And it used to be 80 questions. Now we're talking about 110. Take 20 questions off pre-test, but who knows? God only knows these pre-tests, right? And then we go to depth. Here's the big change. It used to be paper and pencil, not anymore, CBT. It is not going to be all year round. It is only twice, like right now. And your result is going to be six to eight weeks. Very similar to right now. So five scenarios. Each scenario, they're all going to be alternative item types or well-known as AIT. Five scenarios, 12 questions for each scenario. Two of these questions, they're going to be pre-test. The fifth scenario is going to be all pre-test. So technically, pre-test means they're just basically given the question for a future test. They're like, oh, this is hard. Nobody solved it. So we're going to take it off. Gotcha. Testing question. Yeah. Exactly. It is going to be also, they're going to provide a handbook for that. Obviously, the manuals, similarity, I'm assuming for the PE, it's going to be the same. I don't think it's going to be, you know, much difference. Probably the NDS is going to have more of the seismic and the wind, I'm assuming, having more seismic for steel, the small book for that, you know, steel seismic, I think. That's uh, one of the versions. According to Mr. Jason, he said, anything that is basic is not going to be in these manuals. He gave an example saying one feet is 12 inches where you should not write this for you. One kip is equal a thousand pound. You should not write this for you. And as I mentioned, it's not going to be seven to 10 days result. It's still going to be the first few years as only twice a year as currently right now, uh, six to eight weeks to get your result, And most likely you're going to get your result on one instead. So that's all what I know. And one item here is the depth is going to be 10 hours instead of eight hours. Right now it's eight hours. The total cost that a big change in the cost, it's going to be $1,400 instead of $1,500 for each component now. And it's going to be $350 per each component. So $350 red lateral, $350 depth lateral. 350 breadth vertical, 350 depth vertical. So total four uh, components, each of them 350. So that puts $1,400. So a change of $400. Everything that I'm saying here is coming directly from Mr. Jason Gamble one more time because I don't like to refer to any other resources except the NTS. Like you're saying, they're all like pre-test. They're testing this. They got to test it out. They're going to be the first ones to test it out. I do like the computer-based testing. You get your results faster. I think that's a good thing. And I think from what I've heard as well, and let me know if this is, if you're not sure or if you didn't say it, 
that once you pass the component, you passed it. Like the morning, if you pass the morning, you don't need a, that's it, that's done. You don't need to worry about it next year. That's the good things. It uh, looks like it's longer, but hopefully, and people will have to accommodate the new computer-based testing. The biggest change for me if I was to do that would be, I tabbed everything in my books and my textbooks, made my own summary sheets. That's how I would pass the test. But if you're transitioning from that to computer-based testing, it looks like they have like a handbook, which is, I'm guessing it summarizes a lot of the equations. Is that correct? Or I've never done that. So maybe that could be a good thing. You don't need to lug in a cart. Yes. In my opinion, to be honest, the breadth portion, having the NCS handbook is an advantageous thing. That's in my opinion. Having the depths be in the references and giving them to people as a PDF, it's a little more challenging because normally, as you said, you're tabbing things. So if you look at my, you know, steel manual, you see it's tabbed all over the places, right? Having this and try to, if they give you the option to tab PDF, do your thing on a bookmark type of thing, it's okay. Maybe Bluebeam or annotate things, totally fine, right? But having the manual you never seen before, the same version, because now this is one file, right? You go on the, on the test, it's not going to be one file. It's going to be part one, one file, part two, individual file, part three, chapter 16, part 16, for example. It's almost a thousand pages. Connection part is just, I'm not a fan of chapter. I love connection and I like it. it's challenging, but that chapter is extremely you know, time consuming if you're doing control F. That's, I guess we'll have to see, but I think the biggest thing for me, at least from my experience is the depth portion. One of the hardest things, and I don't know the statistics, but from at least talking to other engineers that take the test, if they fail, it's probably going to be the depth portion because it's an essay kind of thing where you have to justify it. So if they're going to computer-based testing, that may or may not be a good thing. I guess we'll have to find out on how they because now it's like a multiple choice, but different. It's not an essay. We'll see how that goes. And we'll see if, I guess, how the pass rates go. And good luck on that, Wada. Thanks, Matt. I think that the essay versus the AIT, in my opinion, better. Because you're going to either have a traditional multiple choice question or a multi-select. So not really a lot to write. Could be fill in the blank, according to them. Drag and drop or predetermined options. Still, I think, in my opinion, is better than writing. I'd agree too. I know some people are getting frustrated with like, oh, I'm going to fail the entire test. The agnostic report. So yeah, I guess we'll see about that. The agnostic report though, it doesn't really tell you much. Oh, you're not acceptable. What does that mean? You're not being accepted. Okay, well, good luck next time. Did you have any additional resources such as guides, practice exams, or mentorship opportunities like you were alluding to that Legend for Tutoring provides to uh, help individuals pass? And if so, how can they contact you for these exams and tutoring? We definitely do have a lot of good resources, whether if you're looking for practice exams only, or whether if you're looking for one-to-one -one tutoring, I personally do not believe in pre-recorded videos. I like to see my client talk to them and yada, yada. We do group sessions. We do one-to-one. -one. I do not do pre-recorded. The, the reason why, you know, you're just 
looking at robots is talking, you know, and you're not really asking the questions or whatever. If you're looking for one-to-one or group sessions or practice exams or mentoring or tips and tricks, please reach out whether directly to me or to my team. The website is legendfortutoringdenver.com and you could contact us through the website and inquiry or personally to my email address or to my uh, cell phone number. There is nothing wrong with that. We will be more than happy to help you and take you from whether block one or from A all the way to get you to where you pass this exam and release the stress on your end. Any final piece of advice to deal before we sign off for those in their careers or trying to make the most out of life professionally or even just some general life advice? What do you got? Since we're talking about F-E-P-E-S-E, I would say if you can take them as soon as possible, please do so. I see people coming to me and I had a client signed up yesterday where I had to sign the invoice and he's talking to me 15 years away from college. It is very tough to get him back on the track, not because he's not a good engineer or whatever. These stuff, you're doing something with concrete, you basically forget pretty much most of your stuff. Statics, a lot of people use it sometimes in the office, you know, day in, day out. A lot of people rely heavily on the softwares, the finite element softwares. So not a lot of people rely on hand calcs. I'm a person who like to do hand calcs first and then check with the software. So take it as soon as possible. Please invest in, in yourself towards this test. I know sometimes cost and budget could be an issue, but trust me, this is an end goal. This is your ultimate goal that if you take your PE, you know, we're not talking about SE here, you're probably going to be good to go for most you know, states. So invest in yourself, Save some money for this test. We will work with you on the budget if you need, but please try to take it as soon as possible and tell us if you need more accommodation or if you feel like, yeah, I'm probably ready, but I do not have the resources or I have issues compiling things up. So advices like that is definitely helpful, mainly when you are taking the PE because it's not paper and pencil anymore. So gathering information, Getting the right resources is probably one of important things that I consider in preparing for this exam. If you don't know yet, the P is very important in your career. I think that's one of the milestones that you can get. So getting it as fast as possible will definitely help you out professionally because not only is it transferable to structural engineering or civil engineering in general, but all the professions that way, if you go into construction, anything architectural engineering related, it's transferable. People recognize it. So it's definitely get it as fast as possible. Thanks again, Nabil, for taking the time to be on the show and uh, telling us about the exams. And it was something that I wanted to know about as well, since I've been kind of out of the game, at least with the PE. Once <laughs> I last took it and the upcoming SE changes. So thanks a lot. Of course, Matt. Appreciate you having me here. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources or websites mentioned during this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the Apple Podcasts. 
Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.